I want to welcome you. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. Uh, just a quick word. I know Abigail Messer, our children's director, was sharing a little bit about the Lenten activities and the devotionals that we're doing as an entire church, whether as adults or children. Um, but we are not going, you, we usually do a Lent sermon series, but we're going to continue through James during our Lent season. And so whether it's through the liturgy uh, each Sunday, starting next Sunday on the first Sunday of Lent, but also through the devotionals and the activities that we'll have uh, that kind of help us to embody the practices of preparing our hearts for his death and resurrection. Uh, I want to encourage you to do that since we won't be specifically in a sermon series on that. Uh, although the liturgy and the different devotionals will help us to, um, you know, help us in our hearts as we worship our Savior. So if you don't have a Bible, turn to page 1012, 1012 of the church Bibles. There are church Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And I'm going to invite Jessica Haney to come on up as she'll be giving us uh, reading for us the passage. When we first started this series, you might remember, if you don't, it's okay, uh, but James talks about in the midst of suffering how we need wisdom. And what he said to us was that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. In other words, when we ask for wisdom, God promises to do so generously and without criticism, without scolding, but freely out of his grace. Abundantly he gives to us. And now what James does is from that chapter one, he dives deeper into this aspect of wisdom that we need in a fractured world. And that's why we titled this sermon series Living in a Fractured World. And so we're going to dive right into that and I'm going to have... So let's uh, give attention to God's word as Jessica reads that for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jessica. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we ask as we dive into your word this morning that you would impart wisdom. Wisdom not of this world, but wisdom from above so that we might be people who are beautiful, exemplifying and portraying the wisdom that you've called us to be because of Jesus. So do that good work we ask that only your spirit can do in our hearts. So we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Barry Schwartz, a psychologist, gave a very famous talk in a TED Talk that he did way back in 2009. And in this talk, he talks about hospital janitors' job descriptions. And in this job description, it's an exhaustive list. And yet in this list, there's not one single bullet point about human interaction. Not one. And yet when these, peop these people interviewed hospital janitors, they recognized that they were always interacting with other human beings. For example... Janitors knew not to vacuum the floor when guests were napping or not to mop the floor when a patient was walking to do rehab. And there's a countless, example, countless examples of how 
These janitors were able to know how to interact with human beings. And yet, in the midst of all these different things that they did, their job descriptions never contained anything about human beings. Their work and their involvement included kindness, care, and empathy. Yet all of their job descriptions were just duties. Cleaning, mopping. Schwartz, Barry Schwartz, talked about how in these situations, these janitors had to use moral will, but also moral skill to bring about the flourishing in a hospital. And by doing so, guess what happened? Patient satisfaction, patient health actually improved when these janitors applied their moral will with their moral skill. They brought flourishing in the midst of a broken hospital. Now, if you've been following with us at all during this James series, you should be able to make some connections here, right? Because we've titled this series, Living in a Fractured World, and James offers us ways to live that brings wholeness. And what James shows us here is that if we want to bring wholeness to a fractured world, be it your family, your neighborhoods, your, your schools, your workplace. Wisdom is absolutely necessary. But it's not just any kind of wisdom. As you heard this morning, James props up for us two different kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom from above, and there's the wisdom from below. If you've been with us during our Ecclesiastes Bible studies, it's never too late to join. It's been really good. But you could argue that this is the wisdom above the sun, and there's a wisdom below the sun. And the question for us is, what kind of wisdom do you have? A wisdom from above that brings flourishing, or wisdom from below that brings evil? Now, what I want to do for us this morning is, as we look at this, is kind of jump off of the question that James asks. In verse 13, he asks us this question, who is wise and understanding among you? In essence, the question is, do you have a wisdom from above or from below? And the way to ask and to figure this out is to be able to discern for us the kind of wisdom that James is talking about. And the first thing he seems to point out immediately is that it is by your good conduct. Now think about that for a moment. A lot of times we have this misconception that says wisdom is all intellectual, don't we? It's about the knowledge that you have. So when I know some people who know a lot about life, you ask them about sports and economics and anything, they have a wealth of knowledge. Is that wisdom? And James, I think, argues it's not. It is one of conduct. It's one of behavior. It's one that's actually lived out, that's visible in one's life. And James is being very consistent because throughout this passage or throughout his letters thus far, what has he talked about? He said, don't just be hearers of the word, but what? Be doers. How do you know someone's faith is real? It's by their good works. And when he comes to wisdom, what he's saying is wisdom is also the same. It's not just what you know in your head between, the, between your two ears. It's about what's lived out. 
What does it exemplify? One scholar said it this way, wisdom is something that can be shown and does not exist if it is not shown. It is seen, not primarily in words, but in deeds. It is someone's conduct and how they live rather than their brain power and what they know that shows they are wise. James is not writing off the need for knowledge. He's showing us where wisdom is seen. Its, its evidence is ultimately behavioral rather than intellectual. Yesterday, with permission, kind of I was granted because I blew it in the first service, but our son, he's been taking an ACT prep class. And two weeks ago, he took his second uh, prep exam and he did well in three areas or better than the first in three areas. But in the fourth area, he dropped significantly. And I was like, what in the world's going on? And so yesterday he had the class to review that exam that he took. And he got in the car after class. And I said, so do you know why you did so poorly? He's like, I know exactly what I did. He said he took all the hints and the, the, the skills that they told you to take into that exam. And he applied every single question to the strategy that he was told to use instead of parsing out when to use that strategy. That's the kind of wisdom that we're talking about. There's a wisdom where you might think it's just all knowledge, all the strategies that you need to be able to then use it. But that's not how wisdom works. Wisdom requires skill, moral skill, as Barry Schwartz says, or as Aristotle says, to be able to apply that with moral will, to be able to experience what true wisdom is. And James is very clear that it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much theological training you've had. It's about your conduct. And what's the first thing he says of our conduct? True wisdom from above is humble. Humble. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of his wisdom. It's about your humility. If we are wise, we will have an accurate picture of who we are. And as followers, followers of Jesus, we should be the most humble of all peoples. Why? Well, we experience that here in the liturgy, right? We bring nothing. With empty hands, we bring. Only simply to the cross we cling. Why? Because we recognize and realize that the good story or the good news of the gospel is that none of our righteousness, none of our wisdom even, no, no, no matter how much money you make, how good your kids are, how moral you are, none of it matters. It's emptiness. And it's only because of Jesus' righteousness, His work, His suffering, His death on the cross for you and for me, the beauty of His grace and mercy that makes us who we are. And here James is saying wisdom, true wisdom, is one that is humble and meek. There was... This past winter, I was going to my kids' winter uh, party. But what's funny was the night before, we were with some friends, and I sat there, I don't know what we were talking about, but I remember saying, I think I would make an amazing elementary school teacher. I was like, I'm sorry, elementary school teachers or teachers in general. I just said flat out with my pride, I'm like, I would make an amazing elementary school teacher. All the schools would want me. I'm a male, and I would do so well with kids. And that's how I thought, and some of them were very affirming of that. I'm like, I know, I know. I think I could totally do that. I kid you not. I'm not exaggerating. Remember last week with words? I go the next day to this winter party, and I'm stationed at this one game. 
And these kids are driving me crazy. One particular kid was so physical, I just wanted to like strangle him. And in that minute, in that instant, I knew I could never be an elementary school teacher. That's what we're talking about here. Pride versus one who is meek. How, does he, how is it contrasted? Verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Who of us would ever go to someone asking for help and wisdom when they already know the answers to the questions that you might have? Who have all the answers, who never listens? None of us. But who do we go to? It's the ones who show meekness, who show gentleness, who are slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. And what James shows us is it a conduct of humility and meekness that exhibits true wisdom. But the second thing he points to is that it is peaceable. It's peaceable. Look at verse 16 through 18. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now look at how James contrasts these two wisdoms. The earthly wisdom says it's exemplified or it's, it's, it's marked by jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, vile practices. While the wisdom, true wisdom from above says it's peaceable, pure, gentle, reasonable, merciful, good fruits. It's impartial. There's, it's sincere. And it's one that makes peace. Now, what's the, what's the relationship with these two different wisdoms? Well, they all have to do with how we relate with one another. How we engage with one another. Now think about our current cultural moment right now. We are ruled by earthly wisdom. And if you're not sold on that, think about the ways we've been hearing words used in our culture. Think about facts, right? The last three to five years, all we've been talking about is facts and what's false and real and fake. We've been talking about what it means to be on the right side of history. To be able to be right and not be canceled. All these things that we've done so far in all the different issues, whether race or social issues or whatever it is, we want to be right and be on the right side of history. We want to know everything and have it all together. And what has that led to? It's led to a fractured society, fractured families, fractured churches, fractured workplaces, where you stay in your little bubble, in your echo chambers. And what we see, we see hate. We see vitriol. We see anger. But what wisdom do we see is true? It's one that's exhibited by sincerity, by gentleness, it's one that makes peace with the other. So rather than look out for my own interests, that it's all about me and getting what I deserve and being right, 
What we see is that truism is marked by peace and cooperation rather than strife and jealousy and competition. It's peaceable. It's relational. The wisdom of the world is about me, whereas the wisdom from above is for the other. That we would seek the common good for our society, for our world. Yet the earthly wisdom says, no, get what's yours. Make sure you're right, and at any cost. You see, when we look at our conduct, true wisdom shows us that it is peaceable. Now, when you look at these two pictures of what wisdom should look like, humble and peaceable, isn't that what we all long for? It is a beautiful picture portrayed of a person that has true wisdom. One of my favorite characters, I don't know what this says about me on, on a TV show, is George Costanza from Seinfeld. You know him, right? George Costanza. He's a friend. He's a bald friend of Seinfeld. But what's his personality like? He's self-loathing, selfish, insecure, cheap, and dishonest. And then you are op- you, the doors are open to his family, his mom and dad, and you realize why he is the way he is. His parents are the same, if not worse. They're always screaming each o- at each other. They're always complaining. They're always talking about other folks in a negative way. And do any of us emulate or wake up in the morning going, that's who I want to be. I want to be an old curmudgeon this morning. No. We long for beauty. We long for this kind of wisdom that is exemplified by, by humility and by peace. Well, how do we get this kind of peace or this kind of wisdom? Well, this is where James makes it clear it's not some abstraction. It's not something that stays up above the sun. But what does he say in verse 15? He says it's a wisdom that comes down from above. It's not an abstraction. Rather, this wisdom comes in human bodily form in Jesus Christ. If you want wisdom, if you want to know what wisdom looks like, look to Jesus. He is the perfect epitome of wisdom incarnate. So for some of us, you might be familiar with the term that Jesus is the fulfillment of, fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king. But what gets missed out is he is also the fulfillment of wisdom, perfected, incarnate in Jesus Christ. Humility, we see it in Christ, who humbled himself, becoming flesh, and in obedience, even obedience to the point of death, he went to the cross for you and for me. Peace, no matter who he engaged, he was slow to speak quick to listen, would tell stories to engage and open up their minds. Whether it was a Pharisee, someone who was a skeptic, someone who doubted, someone who was interested, he had the perfect wisdom to engage and offer them life eternal. Jesus was the perfect incarnate wisdom for you and for me. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes that absolutely clear when he compares these two kinds of wisdom, earthly wisdom and the heavenly wisdom. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians. Where is the one who is wise? He's talking about earthly wisdom. Where is the scribe? 
Where is the debater of this age? You could probably think about our current moment and think about where is that? And we, have, we all have different answers. But hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those we believe, who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Do you see that? Jesus isn't just the perfect wisdom incarnate. It is because of what he did on the cross. What is foolishness to the world is wisdom and power for us. That is where we need to look. That is who we need to look more like because of what Christ has done for you and for me. Because he now lives in us through his Holy Spirit. We are empowered to be able to live accordingly, to live lives of humility, to live lives of peace, and to being in order to bring the wholeness and the flourishing in the midst of a fractured world. When we put the wisdom of Jesus against the wisdom of this world, we see with clarity that it is much more beautiful than anything that we see here in a broken world. So what does James say? He says, ask. Ask for it. And he will give generously to all without reproach. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would be our vision, that you would be our wisdom, that in the midst of a world that offers us this cheap, false, fake wisdom, Lord, help us to look to you, the beauty and the wisdom incarnate, so that, Lord, we might be not only captivated by it, but that we would also offer it to others who are yearning and longing for this kind of beauty. May that be true of us even as we come to the table, that it would be our wisdom as you have shown us at the table so we might be strengthened by your grace, sustained by this food and by your wine to be able to go out into the places to bring wholeness, not because of anything what we can do, but because you have strengthened us and given us a way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sure.